0: I sat here on Wednesday evening, middle of National Apprenticeship Week, um, with my co-hosts, Katie Kelleher and uh, Peter Haddock, and we talked for about 90 minutes about all the great things that this industry, demolition and construction, can offer um, those joining its ranks. Um, A a clearly defined um, career path, a clearly defined, although overly expensive, um, training regime lucrative remuneration for those that are willing to commit and and to be dedicated to the industry so it it has lots and lots going for it um lots of transferable skills enormous job satisfaction of um being able to create create um parts of the the national landscape and as I say transferable skills and, and I, I still believe to this day if you have uh, if you've earned your stripes here in um, the UK demolition and construction industry you could work pretty much anywhere in the world because we are still admired um, but having said all of that and as I say I spent 90 odd minutes talking about all that, that I believe to be good and great and admirable about this industry Um, I awoke the following day to a message from a guy that I've known for a few years um, who works within the demolition industry, which pretty much turned all of that positivity on its head. And and I I mean that in the nicest possible way. It it served as a timely reminder um, that the industry is not entirely without fault. And the more I thought about um, the way that we had portrayed the industry, the more I was left with the feeling and i've I've literally just written this so it's fresh in my head uh, I, the more I was left with the feeling that we had presented the very very fancy icing on a cake that was stale and and quite possibly rotten. Um, I'll play you the, the, the video of the uh, the transcript of that conversation in just a second. But but one of the things that, that struck me, um, if, if you need evidence of the toxicity of some sites and some parts of this industry, I think you only need to look at the fact that we have a suicide rate within the sector that is three times the national average. Now, I accept the fact that that is probably skewed to a degree in the fact that we we have a, a workforce that is something like 86 87 percent male uh, young males are more uh, more likely to take their own lives so we w- those figures are skewed but when, a th- when when your suicide rate within an industry is three times that of the national average you you have to think that's not a coincidence and you would have to think that for at least some of those that have chosen to take their lives, um, the industry within the within which they work, the companies for whom they have worked, will have played uh, a, a contributory factor in in their demise. The first and foremost, I think, is is in terms of um, this need to plug the ever skills gap within the industry. We we talk all the time. About the need to attract young people um, and to, to make space for them and to to bring them on, and, and you know how they are going to lead the industry in the future. But frankly, what is the point if we are a, if we've created a work environment that is so toxic and unpleasant that even those within it, those that have experienced it, and those that are experienced and, and are, have, have been committed long term to it, if they find it so toxic that they can't bear to be in it any longer? um it's just uh <laughs> yeah so that there's a there's a follow-up uh, there, I, as far as I can see there are no lasses here at the moment uh Gary but um, we shall see um and yeah that the, the the problem with that that message that I received was that it didn't come as any surprise um if you if you think about Let's take it take it one at a time. So we've got an industry that ha- that places unreasonable demands upon um, the those working within it. So you've got a, a client who is making unnecessary, un- unreasonable demands upon. Uh, for example, a subcontractor, the subcontractor is then passing that down the line to another subcontractor and, you know, the, the subcontractor is then dogging their um, employees and making life very, very difficult. Um, you've then got the fact that, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about mental health um, and, and awareness. Well, we are aware. We know that. But the suicide rate, as I say, remains at three times the national average. Um, I would, uh, for all my talk about wanting to welcome um, ladies onto this show, we very rarely do. Um, And I'd like to think that's not because um, we are not welcoming, but the industry itself isn't. Um, It it is a hostile and toxic environment to pretty much anyone, I would guess, that isn't white, male and heterosexual. Um, But For all that talk of of winning the hearts and minds of, of young people, what we actually do is we make life so difficult for the older people that are already in the the industry they are leaving in their droves um and we will all the time that remains the case we will never ever plug that skills gap um so be interested to get your thoughts on that now i can see over uh, in our green room our friend al grierson has just joined us all the way from luxembourg morning al good morning everyone thanks for having me on No problem at all. Great to see you here. I tell you what, let me turn off the the music. We are going to get into uh, all things uh, old plant in a second. But given the fact that you are in Luxembourg, let's let's kick things off. Why the fascination in construction? Are you ex-construction or are you you just an anorak like me?
1: I'm just an anorak. Uh, I've never worked in the industry. Uh, I'm a teacher. And... uh, I started watching. Uh, well, one of my earliest memories is watching diggers at work, uh, big red ONK excavators, big loud yellow Hallamag bulldozers, uh, wheel loaders, and so on. And uh, then in the nineties, I got a, uh, I got a camera, a point-and-shoot camera, and uh, I started taking pictures of diggers.
0: Now, obviously, your your channel is um, construction channel Luxembourg. You do not sound like a native of Luxembourg.
1: Um, no, uh, <laughs> my dad's my dad's Scottish, uh, but my mum's Luxembourgish, and uh, he moved here in the seventies to work for the European Commission, and I was born here.
0: Um, yeah, that's the origin story. Uh, f- first question from the chat: How's the donkeys? Because you know we're, we're all fascinated by the donkeys. Donkeys are good. It's
1: uh, nice and cold. They've got thick, warm winter fur, so they are happy <laughs> and frolicking about outside.
0: I, I, I don't, I don't like to digress too much on these things, but I, I heard yesterday what might actually be my favorite joke of all time. And it, it, bear with me because it is donkey-related, right? So a donkey and a horse are in a pub having a drink together. And the the horse is boasting about the fact that he's won the uh, Grand National and the Derby and the Oaks and all these things. And the donkey listens intently, you know, and then reaches into his pocket, you know, be, because donkeys do have pockets, as we all know, pulls out his phone and shows a photograph of a zebra. And the horse obviously is somewhat confused and says, What's that? Why are you showing me that? And the donkey says, "That's me when I played for Juventus." <laughs> I'm sorry, that just tickled me when I saw that. It just, just so stupid and, and ridiculous. Uh, you mentioned the fact that your first experience was was Owen K's. I mean, Owen K's tend to be the big, big babies. So, you know, how did you come to encounter the uh, the bigger machines?
1: Um no, I'm I I mostly mean the smaller ones, the RH RH twenty, R H sixes. Uh there was one company which had a bigger machine, they had an RH thirty. Uh and later they even managed to get two more RH thirty Fs when they became Terex machines. And uh both have since been scrapped, which is unfortunate. So what do you
0: before we get into the uh the, the digger into things, what do you actually teach? English. English. Well, uh, a professor sense, yes. of English language and literature. A professor? Uh, you're, you're far you, you are far too well qualified to be on here, I'll tell you that.
1: It's an honorary degree that high school teachers get because uh, we used to be able to teach at Luxembourg University, so we still allow we're allowed to call
0: ourselves professors, even though technically we are not. I don't have the uh, PhD, or anything. Right, there's somebody else that, that shares your love of uh, of RH30s, um, James Doble. Uh, fresh out of hospital, he, he used to operate an RH30 as well. So have you ever, ever actually operated, or, or, or are you one of these like me that just op- admires from afar? I've operated for
1: exactly 25 minutes. Someone was uh, kind enough to uh, allow me on his uh, Kobelco, uh 25-ton machine and... Uh... I got
0: to uh, play around with it for 25 minutes. So that's my whole operating experience. So, I mean, your your channel you 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 do produce an awful lot of uh, content, and, and you know, I, I've got you here, so I can say it face to face. Is very good content as well. How do you find the time? Because I guess you've got, you, I mean, you have a job, don't you? You have a full time job. Uh, yeah,
1: I I do this over the weekends during the school holidays, and uh, at the moment I've got Friday afternoon off, so usually i had to if if the weather's good i had to a site on, on friday afternoons and try to get some footage
0: um you've also mentioned in the past that you, you i think you built um one of the big machines in lego with your son didn't you
1: yeah the uh, the big mining leplan uh, mine 800 uh, mining excavator
0: so does that, that mean you're you're taking your son along with you and inspiring the next generation as well uh
1: he's not that interested in excavators it's my daughter who's actually more interested um, my son is more of a tractor
0: kid. Well, given all that we've said about attracting women into the industry, I, I applaud you for that. That's uh, that's good news. Um, we've, we've got a couple more people here. Um, spent some brief time on an RH4 and an RH9 in the past. That's Nick Drew uh, and John Williams. Good morning, John. Uh, good to see you here. One of the things that I always find fascinating with the, the plant industry, I mean, obviously you, you are in, in, in Luxembourg, but I've always been fascinated by that fact that the, the difference between the way that the UK does its stuff and... For example, France, you know, we're divided by 26 miles of water, and the the, the two industries are, have traditionally been very different. You know, the French have always loved their their compact wheel loaders. Us, not so much. We've always loved our, our backhoe loaders. The French, not so much. Is there anything that you found sort of th- – that you find peculiar to Luxembourg or Benelux? Um,
1: we – Because we are between Germany and France, we get a bit of a bleed over from uh, French uh, traditions, like having uh, an offset boom on the excavator, which is something you'll find in a lot of places in France and then not at all in Germany. Uh, So we have some of those. Uh, For the rest, uh, yes, we have uh, the very continental model, so you won't find site dumpers. Uh, I think there's about 20 in total in Luxembourg, but the new cab dumpers have been becoming quite popular uh, Backhoe loaders vanished were the moment uh, Mechalac came onto the scene with the 11 uh, CX and uh, skid steers and so on also almost inexistent. There's, there's a handful for interior demolition and so on. Um, what sorts of different uh, from the UK is that uh, we don't have the smaller tracked excavators. Like in the UK, in, in house building, you'll see a lot of uh, 13-ton machines. We don't have any of those here. Usually, it's uh, you have the 8-ton midi, then the 15-ton uh, compact uh, tail-swing excavators, and then 22-tonners with a few 18-tonners. Um, Gary, yeah, uh, tilt rotators are definitely uh, on the up and up. Uh, many new machines, especially in uh, road building where they have uh, wheeled excavators, will have uh, tilt rotators in the sort of sandwich construction. So hydraulic
0: quick coupler, tilt rotator, and then the hydraulic quick hopper, the rotator itself. <clears throat> I re- I realise Luxembourg is, is not the biggest country in the world. Does he actually have any um, of its own equipment manufacturers at all? No, no,
1: no, no, no. <laughs> no. We have, uh, although we do have a, a Faymarville uh, factory in Luxembourg, which builds the uh, low, low loader uh, low load trailers and so on. Um, but we don't make any of our own equipment and we, not even historically, we didn't, don't have any kind of industry like that.
0: So just going back to your, your teaching profession, what sort of age um, people are you teaching? Um, the youngest are 14 and then all the way up to 1920 so does your interest in all things digger related spill over into the teaching do you bore children with the, the latest developments of the Kamatsu excavator range or anything like that
1: <laughs> give them press releases to read um, you know, <laughs> the um, I, I, there's almost no spillover they, I think they, they probably wouldn't be that interested to be yeah. honest
0: I, the, the weird thing is I, I often tell people that I'm the best in the world at what I do and the, the reason I can say I'm the best in the world at what I do is the fact that th- nobody else does what I do so, so you, you have exactly the same thing I would imagine there are not too many people out filming diggers across the length and breadth of Luxembourg, is there?
1: No, there's one more That's uh, I've got one competitor and that's all there is is construction uh, equipment Luxembourg
0: right okay yeah unfortunately when when you are successful you it does tend to lead to others joining and they always have a name that's remarkably similar to yours isn't it mm-hmm. <laughs> and we've just had another question there from uh gary muirhead uh is gps uh used much uh what company do you use well obviously you don't use anyone but um you know are, are you seeing that you know technology making its way into the industry Yes, uh, we're seeing more and more uh, 3D GPS systems.
1: Um, We have a lot of uh, Topcon and uh, Leica and also uh, Volvo's own uh, Dig Assist. So many new Volvos will have the Dig Assist system installed and then uh, you'll see smattering of of Topcon and Leica systems on usually, again, road building companies will use them. There is talk of equipping one of our largest excavators, which is an 80-tonne, per 976 with a uh, a 3D system as well but I don't know if they're actually going to do it or if this is just a plan.
0: A couple of things that you've said there I mean the fact that you know there's only 20 site dumpers in the country and that you, the, the country's largest excavator is 80 tons that's kind of a reminder of just how small the industry is isn't it you know the fact that you 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 have that information so readily to hand you know.
1: Uh, Yeah, it's a a small country. We have a a surface of 2,600 square kilometers, which is the size of Dorset. Um, However, I I did some number crunching, and it turns out that the construction sector in Luxembourg is three times larger than that in Britain. Uh, We have 47,000 people working in the industry, uh, 1,600 companies, and 9 billion euro annual turnover. Wow. So... um, it's mostly because housing is extremely expensive here. Uh, so you'll see uh, lots of uh, demolition of uh, standalone houses and then replace them with uh, apartment blocks. And I think pretty much every village has two or three construction sites at the moment. So it's uh, proportionally, it's a very big industry compared to uh, the size of the country.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess one of the one of the, the issues that I face and I know Nick Drew faces and, and Peter Haddock face and, and everybody that does their job is always access. But you, you have I, I guess you must know those within the industry, you know those those that are running the, the construction and demolition companies. You must know pretty much all of them, I guess.
1: Actually I'm not that well connected yet. I've only been at this for three years. Um However, access is usually less of a problem because very often it's enough to just uh, talk to the site foreman or the operator uh, who's at work, and that's usually enough. And then um, there are some companies which will, for example, not allow anyone on site. So that's a lost opportunity, basically.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly how I see it. You know, I've I've mentioned this before, actually. We've had another question there, obviously. uh, Just to to remind Gary, I mean, obviously, um, Al is actually a teacher and not a a plant man himself. Um, But uh, recruiting plant operators, that's a point, actually. I mean, the the population of Luxembourg is not huge. So you've mentioned the fact that you get that spillover from France and Germany. Do you have that with workers as well?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, Most of the people who work in the construction industry Uh, our migrants uh, in the 70s, or up to the 70s, used to be people from Italy, which is why we have a lot of construction companies with Italian names. And then since the 70s, uh, many people from Portugal came to Luxembourg to work in the uh, the construction industry. So uh, we also have 220,000 people crossing the border from Germany, France and Belgium to work here because we pay better wages. So um, we have quite a large pool of, of talent to recruit from, much larger than
0: the country itself. What oh, You've mentioned O&K now. What was your earliest plant memory, aside from the O&Ks?
1: Um,
0: Hanamag wheel loaders were
1: also a, a favourite of mine, because air-cooled engines, very noisy, very loud, fantastic stuff.
0: It's it's so strange you should say that because somebody actually mentioned in the chat. Um, I'm trying to find the, the comment itself. Somebody actually mentioned noise because I I know I um, still can't find it. It must be here somewhere. I, I will find it while we're talking. But one of the things that always strikes me about these things, I, I, I mentioned when I, I first came up with this as a subject for discussion, the fact that my first car was a Volkswagen Beetle. And Volkswagen Beetle has got a very distinct sound. <laughs> it sounds like a lawnmower, basically. Um, but that is part and parcel of it. And, you know, we, we are pushing for lower emissions and electric machines and quieter machines and all that kind of thing. There is a certain thing that you lose with that. You know, the, the, the actual raw. I mean, I've, I've been lucky enough on a number of occasions to stand beside something like a D11 when it fires up and that little plume of black smoke as it fires up and the sound that it makes. That is part and parcel of of that machine, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I had the opportunity to film a brand new Volvo uh, EW two hundred and twenty, which is a twenty-two ton wheeled excavator. And the operator said, if there is a problem with the machine, he has to call the fitters. There's very little you can actually do uh, yourself on on newer machines. You've got all the electronics. You've got uh, you need a computer to uh, read out the error logs and so on, so on, so on.
0: Uh, I found the the, uh, comment I was looking for. uh, My favourite is Cat235. You know from the sound of a cat engine. Yeah, absolutely right. And and one of the funny things that, and we have mentioned this previously, and you've just mentioned fitters, you know, we did have a generation of people that were just, you're particularly working with, you know, quarry companies or demolition companies where they were encountering the same machines all day, every day. And they knew those machines intrinsically, you know, and, and, I always make the joke of you know they knew exactly where to hit it with a sledgehammer to get it start on, to start on a cold morning. That's a slight exaggeration, but we we are in very serious danger of losing that now. You know, when you even sort of mini excavators, you, you're talking about sort of electronic diagnostics, and that will be a lost skill, won't it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it also, of course, uh, stops companies from uh, looking after their own equipment. Um, which is then also a source of, of profit for manufacturers. I'm guessing because you have to call out the uh, accredited fitters for every every issue.
0: Yeah, I, and again, I mean, it, it, this is a point that I've made before, and I, I remember as sort of a child of the, <clears throat> as a child in the 70s, you know, Sunday morning was was my father and all the other fathers on you know, in, in our housing development were out fixing their cars. You know, it was checking spark plugs and. I, I actually remember my fir- my father's first new car was an old Ford Escort Estate, and he bought it literally off the forecourt. Had about four miles on the clock, but the first job before he could drive it was um, basically undercoating the the entire underside of the uh, of the car to stop it from rusting. That was considered part and parcel, and and that you know, like I say, you know, people broke down by the side of the road. It wasn't called the AA or the RAC or or uh, whoever else. It was put the bonnet up and and have a tinker yourself. Tinkering is fallen by the wayside, isn't
1: it? Yeah, definitely. Um the the, the, the a lot of the things are very complex, uh, a lot of the stuff is uh, is is blocked, is, is is locked away, so a lot of the components you can't even properly
0: access or see nowadays. So uh, the companies Yeah, don't we wanted to <clears> We we have a few Hannah Mag fans in in the house. As I say, I mean, I, I I drove I drove a wheel loader. we we did a when I was on the uh, magazine contract journal, we used to do these side-by-side um, tests of machines. And I, I do remember distinctly the um, when we had the wheel loader test, Hannah Mag sent over their um, their favourite operator to um, basically get the best out of the machine during the test to make it look good alongside all the competitors. And I it wasn't me because I was too young and too naive, but I know the guy that I worked with as editor had to take the operator to one side. Because he he was basically approaching the side of a truck at pretty much breakneck speed, locking the thing into reverse, and rather than tipping, the entire deposit from the bucket just lurched through the air, and you could see the truck literally bouncing on its axles. You know, was, you you may want to calm down a little bit, you know, but uh, it, it was fascinating to watch. And and uh, even that, I wonder if that is still the case. We, you know, I I, I Nick will certainly remember this. You know, that we had in the past where we've had <clears throat> um specialist operators i know Caterpillar had a team uh, i remember Massey Ferguson had a one specific guy who would sort of travel the length and uh, breadth of the world showing off the uh, Massey Ferguson machines to the best of their, of their ability i wonder if they still exist or whether it's all become so clean and and homogenized that we don't actually have that anymore
1: well, uh Volvo uses uh, an operator who works for a Luxembourgish company. Uh they used him to present the new uh EWR one thirty rubber duck, the small one the small rubber duck. And uh he featured in all the videos showing off what a machine can do, so I guess they they still sometimes use uh special operators, but probably not people who work for the company itself.
0: Uh, it does seem to be the case. It, it, it all feels like it's all. <clears throat> One of the things that always strikes me about this is the fact that this is all change, changing and changed in the span of a career. Um, well, I've been doing this for thirty-three odd years, and going back to that film of the old, the old equipment there, <clears throat> I've seen them come and go in the space of three decades. It's incredible. One that really stands out for me, and it was why I included it, was the uh, Mitsubishi uh, excavator there. There was, we we had here in the UK, and I'm guessing it was Europe-wide, we had this um, thing in the late 80s, early 90s of, um, there was anti-dumping. We we had this insistence on um, European manufacturers were trying to basically keep the Japanese, as it was at the time, the Japanese manufacturers out, and we... We, we went from having a few Japanese excavators who were having virtually none to them coming through the side door, and then they arrived en masse. And I do remember being dispatched during my early days at Contract Journal because we would got word of the fact that a, a Mitsubishi excavator had come in under the cover of darkness and was working down in Sussex, uh, and I was dispatched to go and take some photographs of it. Uh, and I arrived, and I, I tried my very best to look like an uninterested hiker, um, with a camera who clearly knew what an excavator looked like. Um, and the operator asked me a few, what, why so interested? Oh, you know, I'm just, just interested in diggers, you know, no particular interest. And then he saw me trying to take a photograph of the serial number. At which point, at which point there was a, there was a a very hasty conversation and round the corner came a guy in a backhoe loader who literally chased me down the path so that I got in the car and left, you know, I, so Lord alone knows what route that machine had come in by. Um, Uh, some still have dedicated demo operators but more often they bring in owner operators and the like yeah i mean that's certainly become the case uh at some of the exhibitions that we attend um and it it is a shame because the the way that those operators used to work was was just incredible I, i and I have a real problem with this guy's name. there's a guy who used to run uh, the excavators or one of the excavators at SED the old site equipment demonstration shows and he would have that thing literally stood on its nose you know and, and slewing and it was incredible to watch I mean I, I would imagine the health and safety people would probably have a heart attack if they saw it now but it was incredible to watch and, and I guess he's, he's probably retired or been told he can't do that anymore uh, when I was at Peterborough for cat I was testing and demonstrating for mostly Chinese companies on the uh, testing ground harder than you think to make it look interesting and informative for the customer Uh, yeah i'm sure it was and doug potter thank you for that nick i i I have a a bit of a mental block as far as doug potter is concerned Uh, apologies doug if you're watching so you've done your 25 minutes of of operating al any uh, any plans to get back behind the levers
1: um i don't know probably not i mean i always uh scare my wife by saying i want to buy an excavator but uh, probably not (laughs)
0: Yeah, it, well, in actual fact, I, you said that on one of the, uh, the the shows. I think it was last week because you were actually talking about buying something. It was, it was one of those big um, RH machines from uh, Banks Mining. You're not you're not just buying a little one. You're talking about buying some two hundred tonne one, aren't you? Well,
1: that would be fantastic, but I don't think it would fill the backyard. So I don't think there's much I could do with it. other than than to look out and admire it yeah yeah
0: (laughs) no that's fantastic so I I tell you what I'm going to let you get on with your day job um you can stick around if if you wish but we're all going to be talking about um, stuff that to make people moan and upset because that's what I do on a Saturday morning um but for those that are still watching where do we find you where where can people go and find all your good stuff on YouTube
1: uh, on YouTube, you can find all my videos, uh, construction channel Luxembourg is the channel name. And uh, on Facebook, you'll find my photographs. I take pictures as well. Um well, probably better than uh, my video, actually. Um, and uh, I also have a profile on LinkedIn, but I don't use that so much. I usually just use it to watch or share.
0: Well, I'm, I'm glad you do. Uh, Al, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's, it's always nice to put a, a face to a name. Um, you, you've been a, a great supporter of the show over the, over the past few months, um, but it is finally good to meet you. Yeah, yeah. But, and, and I know we, we, we have been talking. You're planning to get yourself along to uh, to Belmer. Um So there will be an opportunity to actually get together and, and maybe have a beer or two. Absolutely. Looking forward to that.
1: Thanks for having me on. It's been an
0: absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's been a pleasure having you here. Have a great day. Give my regards to the donkeys, um, and I'll see you very soon. Cheers. All the way. Well, that was good. It, it was. It, we were hoping that technology would work, and I'm delighted that it did. Um, so, um, thank you very much indeed for that. Out. So we, we've we've been talking about the old plant, but I, I do want to get back to the point where um, we started the show, talking about. Um, this underlying toxicity within the industry, um, and and the, the funny thing is, when I played that video yesterday, um, I had I had an immediate response from uh, the chat, and then I had uh, emails and, and phone calls and text messages afterwards that basically said, much as Ken is saying there, uh, it would be it would be lovely to point at that um, video and say um, that's not the case where I work. Um, I don't know where this guy is coming from. He's talking out of the back of his head. But the truth is, I think we all know that that is exactly what it is like. Um, and I think that the, the problem is that one of the people that commented on this was uh, Nicola Bird, who was one of our guests on the show on uh, Wednesday night, and she was saying that you know it is it is such a huge job to address this underlying um, problem within the industry. But so long as that industry, so long as that problem or those problems exist we are never going to plug our skills gap. Um, we are going to alienate some of those that work within it, and we're going to make the industry look less and less attractive to those um, that are outside. So it does. I, I do feel that we need literally a, a root and branch change within the industry. Um, I can see where it's coming from in a way. House builders seem way beyond uh, behind the civils. Standard work is definitely dropping. and And even that. You know, that's that, that is in itself is a concern. Um and unfortunately, I think those that are suffering the most from this, I keep using the word toxicity, and maybe that is too strong, maybe not. Um, but those that need to address it are not the ones that are experiencing it, by and large. Um I, I think the, the nature of, of construction and demolition, certainly here, but I think overseas as well, is such that everything percolates down. So if somebody at the top of the pile is slow in paying, um, you know, it might be at the client or a remain contractor, then the subcontractor gets paid late and he pays his subcontractors late, who pay their subcontractors late and so on down the line. Um, and I would say exactly the same by that, toxicity. If you are not allowing sufficient time, for example, for a project to be completed, literally from the day that the first people arrive on site, quite often the demolition contractor, they are under the cosh. It's not it's never a case of um, how long did you allocate to this job? We allocated a, a month. Well, don't worry, you've got six weeks before anything else uh, is likely to happen. Or take the full four weeks, we we will trouble you no more, you get on with doing what you do best. The truth is, you said you could do it in four weeks, now do it in two. Um, and, And do it in two, even while we're breathing down your neck and summoning you to meetings to explain why you're doing what you're doing, even though you are the experts, which is why we've employed you in the first place. And that, that, I think, sets the tone for that project. And then that is, again, it percolates down right throughout that that project. I always refer to the demolition contractor partly because I write about demolition more than I write about anything else, but also because they are um, often the first on site. And it is them that, that, that set the tone. But if, if you've got that situation where... Um, the demolition contractor is under the cosh. Demolition contractor and maybe the next people on site are the piling crew. They will get the same treatment. It might be the steel erectors. They will get the same same treatment. And, and unfortunately, that that multi layered um, and, and percolation of the way that all this works is exactly the same within companies as well. Um, you know, the site foreman will be summoned to a meeting maybe with the client or the main contractor, and he will be read the riot act and told that he's not moving fast enough, um, that the the piling contractor is gonna be along at any moment and you're still not finished. So that site manager then leaves that meeting and goes out and tells his team, or he might tell somebody a bit lower down the rank who will then pass it on. And I, I think it's one of those things that gets worse the deeper it goes i remember being told years ago i was on a a project up on the a1 and near newcastle where they were widening the a1 and they'd done uh, a very advanced study at the time about um, traffic movement and they had proved um statistically that if somebody is driving along a road and they apply their brakes for a second the person behind them will likely apply their brakes for three seconds the person behind them will apply it for six the person behind them will, will apply for 12 and you, you have this this progressive slowing to the point where maybe 10 15 20 cars back that road will come to a standstill because somebody touches their brakes up ahead and i think that is it's a, a weird analogy to draw but i think that's exactly the same situation i think if you've got um a client breathing down the neck of a contractor who then breathes down the neck of the subcontractor who breathes down the neck of another subcontractor. By the time it gets down to the guy, maybe driving the excavator or the wheel loader or whatever it might be, those orders almost like the opposite of Chinese whispers. Those whispers have actually got louder and more intense. And, and as our our contributor said, you know, that there is, they're accompanied by swearing um, and stamping of feet and frothing at the mouth. Um, And imagine that's your every working day. Um, It's a long while, It's what is it now, probably 15 years since I last worked in an office with other people. Um, I I left working in an office out of necessity, but the more I've seen it and the more I've seen um, offices' environments, the less I would like to go back. Um, And and I do think offices are better than sites. Um, so you imagine that, you imagine getting up on a Monday morning, you know, 4 o'clock, four thirty, five o'clock. You've got to drive yourself to work through the traffic and you know full well that when you get there, your day will take a, a, a sharp turn downhill. Um, you will be abused and shouted at and pressured um, and your skills will be questioned and undermined. Um, your knowledge will be questioned and undermined. And th- there's there's another point. I mean, I'm talking here predominantly about individuals. Um, and, and that is my key concern because that's where, as I say, that's where the mental health arises. Um, and that's where we get the suicide as well. But w- what is the thinking of um, a sector whereby you have um, subcontractors? And let's... You know, let's give them their proper term. We have what are known as specialist subcontractors. So the the likes of a, a Kia or a Mace or a Lang O'Rourke or um, a Morgan Sindel, any of the big um, construction companies, if they have demolition to do, they don't do it themselves. They go out to, um, to tender and they use very complex, very demanding systems to ensure that they are identifying and therefore appointing the person that they believe can do that job best. Yes, price comes into it, but competence comes into it, experience comes into it. So you've been out to the market and you've said, this is the company that I trust to bring this demolition home on time, on budget, and so on down the line. And then the moment they arrive on site, you start to tell them where they're going wrong can can you imagine taking your car in I mean as as Nick Drew has just taken uh, delivery of his his shiny new car that's fully branded and lovely it looks too imagine that Nick you next time you take that car in for a service which you know a a new car six months whatever it might be you take it in and when the uh, mechanic lifts the bonnet on your new car you tell him how to do his job tell him he's not doing it quick enough tell him that he's using the wrong spanner tell him that he needs to do x when he's currently doing y can you imagine how long that conversation would last and can you imagine what that conversation would consist of i think they'd they'd probably break down to about two words and the second one would probably be off and yet at industry level that's exactly what we do um We have major contractors and major clients who quite clearly are unwilling or unable to do demolition themselves. But man alive, they seem to know everything there is to know about where a demolition contractor, who does it for a living, is going wrong. Um, Every site in the UK should have a health and safety and well-being stand-down day that we can all have a big brew and chat and hear anything about the site or things happening in their own life. It can be open or in private, but as long as we talk, that's the first step. And 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 unfortunately I think that's where that's where we, we have another issue. Um, if you think about that mental health thing and, and that ability to talk, by and large that's done within companies. Um, so for example, let's let's take a, a project that you know, a multifaceted project. So you've got demolition going on at one end, there might be piling going on in the middle and there's steel being erected at the end. So demolition contractor has his little get together and his big brew and they all have a chat and they decide among themselves that actually we are working to far too tight a deadline. We are being sworn at and abused by those above us. Um, they are making unreasonable expectations. They're requiring us to cut corners. And, and Im- so imagine the demolition contractor has that and they, they all, you know, air their grievances and, and, and express themselves very, very well. What happens with that information afterwards? Do we have a, an environment whereby a demolition site manager or a project manager can take those grievances to those that sit above them, be it the client or the main contractor, and say, this is what my boys have said, and this is what needs to happen in order to make this a, a better place to work. Can we do that? My feeling, my feeling is we do not have that. Um, so you end up with these little silos of grievances that don't actually go back up the line, and all the time they're not going back up the line, We are perpetuating this situation that we've got ourselves into in the first place. Um, The problem is experienced foremen are are fast retiring and nothing phases them out. Uh, uh, And nothing phases them but the need, uh, but the new breed, I like to hear their own voices, and they breed the atmosphere on site. So small groups form from the favourites to the quiet ones. Uh, then that makes them think they are now black hats, and that in turn makes a bullying and a terrible atmosphere. A moral hits rock bottom. Then the job goes backwards, and the bullying gets more and more. It's a, a very, very interesting point, um, and a, I, I think there's there's a lot to to unpick from all of that. But one of the ones, one of the things that stands out there is the black hat thing. Um, I understand why we we quickly embrace the need for different colored hats and, and I don't want to come across as a some lefty bloody snowflake here but does that does the awarding of a black hat award someone with a little too much power when I was working in an office we, we, we had you know, tiers and ranks, and, and Lord alone knows what else, and and there were some that took to being a supervisor, like a doctor, Walter. You know, they were very well organised, very methodical. Um, you know, good team leaders and stuff like that. But there were others who um, were were given the office equivalents uh, equivalent of a, a black hat, and it basically turned them into an asshole. Um, they thought they were above everyone else and they were better than everyone else. And as a result, they made everybody's life a living bloody nightmare. Um, if you've got a situation on a site, and and I think that was, there was several bits there. Um, you know, we you, you will have on site, you will have people that are quieter. I'm not one of them. My father doesn't work in construction, but my father is, he's a quiet guy. Um, he, you know, not, not overly sociable, um, a bit quiet, a bit shy. Chances are he would be that they wouldn't hand him a black hat, and somebody that, that did get the black hat could pick on him mercil- mercilessly. He'd only take it for so long. But are we have we bred a, a system and a regime now where we are creating assholes, where we are taking somebody who might be, you know loud and, and, and shouty and sweary and he's and perceived to be the sort of person that can get the job done. A Gordon Ramsay type, for example, and you give them a black hat. And does that make them worse? My feeling is, yes, probably it does. Um, I had a great career operating around Hampshire from the late 70s to 1995 and was well-respected, followed by an equally good year in Northampton. Then I moved to the West Country, working in the industry, became a bit of a nightmare, to be honest. Totally different mindset. I found that often you couldn't do right for doing wrong. Abuse was commonplace, and in the end, I really had a gutful of it. Um, And again, you are fortunate, Nick, in the fact that you had an out- um, and uh, uh, for those that don't know, Nick, Nick used to play ice hockey. Nick became an operator, followed in his father's footsteps, and then became a very good and a very successful blogger, journalist, vlogger, uh, all, all those other things. So you had a safety net to a degree. But it, imagine if you are married, a couple of kids, mortgage or rent to pay, um, and you're. Let's not forget why we all go to work. We we go to work predominantly. I, I enjoyed doing this, but you know, if it didn't pay the bills, I wouldn't bother. Um, so we go to work to earn money to put food on our table to keep the roof over our head. And imagine if that was an utterly miserable experience, and it was an utterly miserable experience because of one or more people that you worked with. Um, yeah, listen, I, I I have to tread very carefully because I still live with. Um, my children, or three of my four children, and they are constantly reminding me the fact that I sound like an old man. But I do wonder... Um, I, I do wonder if maybe some elements of the good old days actually were the good old days. Um, we've already talked about some of the older machines there and, you know, scraper days and, and, and things like that, but maybe... When the the job was less demanding, there was less bullying and that kind of thing. I, I just wonder if, if maybe we need to take a bit of a, a step back. Um, I agree with John, the black hat culture is toxic. I've seen great blokes turning complete a holes overnight, uh, as have I. Yeah, as have I. As I say, mine was was in an office environment, but you know, the, the I, I the, there is that Billy uh, Connolly quote, isn't there? Um, anyone that expresses a desire to be a politician should immediately be barred from being one. And and I think, you know, if you if you are working at site level, I, I think to a degree that black hat thing takes away one of the things that I believe to be the best about the industry, that camaraderie. Um, I often liken the business to the armed forces in that you know everybody is reliant upon everybody else um, it's it's all mates together you know we all pull in the same direction hopefully um, but as soon as as one of that gang is is made up to a black hat a sergeant whatever it might be, you then put a a, a, a mark between the lads and the other and if that, if that person is that way inclined to to use his new found status for his own ends, you know, rather than pulling the troops along together and, and acting as a leader, but as, as Nick described it, acting as an a hole, um, you know, you, you are just going to alienate those that are below you. Um, uh, he's not far wrong with the black hats. I just tell them what to do now. Uh, not got a clue what they're doing. Um, and so i think that's one of the, the i think the first time i saw it was as a, a meme of a lady in hard hat high vis holding clipboard um who i i think the caption is uh, i've never done um what you what you do for a living but i can tell you you're doing it wrong um and, and i think when i first saw that that was actually related to um health and safety executive uh, inspectors But I don't think that's the case anymore. Well, I I, I think the HSE do still have their their problems, but I do think we have created a culture where everybody is an expert on everybody else's business. You know, we, we have, as I say, we have major contractors who can't or won't do demolition, then employ a company that can do demolition only to be told that they're doing it wrong. And, and as I say, I keep coming back to demolition because it's the, the, the bit that I write about the most. But it's the same right the way through the industry. Um, the flips, or the flip side, or the flap side of the black hat is a blue hat. Um, to show you're new on site, I was handed a blue hat with a company I worked for. I had 25 years plus experience on an excavator, but I was a new start. And a guy with a white hat a couple of years under his belt was the experienced one. And again, that merely highlights the lunacy of that system. And I, I, I can't, I, the, the first time I ever saw that, and I'll tell you now, the first time I ever saw the multicolored hat thing was on an eerie site um, at a, a, a former power station that was being demolished. And the site was vast, absolutely vast, and it was sprawling. You know and it was very flat and everything else and i think to be able to see from the site office or a vantage point where the, the 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 blue hats and the white hats and the black hats and the yellow hats were i i can fully understand that but somebody with 25 years experience being told what to do by somebody with two makes no sense it makes no sense whatsoever um and it to a degree, I mean it's not even the fact that the guy has been elevated above his station, it just means that the system is a nonsense. You know, how on earth can somebody with two years experience be be considered to have more experience than somebody with twenty-five? Absolute nonsense. Um where I am now on this 750, the job is run right by old hands. The pressure must be immense as it's a 100 million pound job. Three years into this complex much shift, but it runs like clockwork. All because the works manager and his foreman are all time served guys. They're all very hands on. Always on hand for information or if you have issues. That makes for a calm atmosphere and makes the job more enjoyable. Rear sites these days are like this. Uh, re- Rear sites these days are like this nowadays. 100%. Uh, I mentioned this yesterday when this, this first came up. Um, I'm, I've thrown that up from Ken because that, that's reiterating the point. And where has you know where has the common sense gone? Uh, I mentioned this yesterday. Um, obviously, my my career experience is somewhat different to a lot of you guys, but I, I was fortunate in that I worked back to back with. Um, A certifiable lunatic as an editor on one magazine and I went to uh, another magazine contract journal um, and the editor there Jerry Gosney was was that guy he was he was an old hand he was he was a journalist by training and an editor by calling I guess Um, and because it was a weekly magazine our schedule used to be um, writing or going out on site on usually on a, a Friday uh, or going to see a manufacturer, whatever it might be, writing like fury on Monday and Tuesday. The entire magazine went to print on Wednesday, and then on Thursday, the magazine arrived. So, on a Thursday, having having seen your words and your photographs in print, and having had a, a, a magazine-wide debrief of what that magazine, what was good about it, what was bad about it, and all of that kind of thing. So, Thursday afternoon was, was kind of a we've got one magazine out, we've got another magazine to start tomorrow. Let's take a breather. And it was quite regular. You know, this is the uh, late eighties. It was quite often that, um, particularly the plant team that I was on, um, we would go and have lunch in the pub. Didn't take the the piss. You know, we'd we'd, we'd go and have a a pint or two, um, a sandwich or whatever it might be, and just have a a bit of a chat and a get together. And Jerry Gosney, uh, the editor of the entire magazine, he wasn't my direct boss. He was my ultimate boss. But about once a month, he would come over to the pub. Very, very rarely stayed for a drink himself, but he'd come over and he would pay for our lunch or he'd buy us all a, a, a pint and then he'd go on his merry way. Um, and as I said yesterday, I would have walked over hot coals for Jerry Gosney. If he, if he came out of thin air today and started a magazine, I'd happily go and work for him. Uh, the guy before that was, um, as I say, a certifiable lunatic. Um, loved to slam a door, loved to throw things at people. And, and as a result, he got me from nine till five and not a moment longer. Um, where is? And unfortunately, I was trying to think of this term last night when I was planning the articles I've just finished writing. We've seen in the industry uh, at corporate level, at company level, at um, multi-tiered contractor level, and then at employee level, by and large, we have abandoned the carrot and we have just fully embraced the stick. You know, we don't encourage, we don't, um, we don't cajole, we don't um, put our arm around each other. Instead, we just beat each other with a big stick. Um, and and all the time that's happening, we are struggling to attract people to the industry. Well, as the saying goes, "No shit, Sherlock." Um, And that skills gap is going to get wider and wider the more people we alienate. And even at the lower level, you know, if if I'm working on a project, um, let's say you're an excavator operator or a dump truck operator or a dozer operator, and you're working for a company um, with this toxic attitude, or you're working on a project with that toxic attitude, and you hear that HS2 is taking place and all the facilities they're putting in place, all the care they're taking of their staff because it's such a high profile project, all the training that's available, uh, all the facilities that are available, the latest machines um, and, and, and all that goes with it. And HS2 say, we need a dump truck operator or a dozer operator. I don't know about you, but i drop everything and, and jump ship even if the money was exactly the same because ultimately like i keep on saying you only go to work to earn a living you shouldn't have to endure bullying <coughs> constant pressure constant ridiculous and unreasonable demands so if you could if you could identify a project that offered you that the chances are you're going to take it so what happens to those companies that have allowed a toxic um, environment to perpetuate. They go out of business because they can't attract people, you know. And there are companies, you know, I, I, as I say, I work closely with with demolition, and there are companies that have a reputation that is way above and beyond those of others. <clears throat> Two that spring immediately to mind: Armac and AR Demolition if AR if AR Demolition and RMAC Demolition are recruiting I would imagine the queue is round the block because they have such a great reputation for the care that they take of their staff Um, and, and let's Adrian McLean is a smashing guy Richard Dolman is a smashing guy but they do it because they have the good sense to know that if they look after their staff their staff will look after them they won't suddenly jump ship they won't take the piss when it comes to sick days they would take good care of their machines because generally it's one man per machine and and you know they are sensible enough to realize look after your greatest asset your people and your greatest asset will look after you so quite what the others are thinking god alone knows um that same company I found the blue hat guys always got picked on. It was like um get the blue get hat guy to do it. Yeah, well, we were all told uh, to work as a team, and, and therein lies the point, you know. Work as a team. That when when you look at all roads in my mind lead to football, look at the great football captains um of Of the footballing world Um, Obviously I would point to Bobby Moore Because childhood hero And he won the World Cup Not quite single handed but pretty damn close Um, Bobby Moore Wasn't a shouter or a swearer Probably the greatest defender Of all time Um, Paolo Maldini was not a shouter Or a swearer Uh, He was an encourager Um, It's there We can see it We can see what works And we can see what doesn't um, and I, I, I hate to say this, but I, I wonder if some of this comes back to recruitment um, and, and the way that we. I, I mentioned this to uh, Nicola Bird on the show on Wednesday. Construction and equally demolition have, for far too long been seen as the last resort, Um, they are the last refuge of those that that either didn't take exams or they took exams and failed Um, they they've got no clearly defined um, career idea in their head so in other words you you will have a a certain level of people whose only real prospects is either join the construction or demolition industry at the very bottom or go into the armed forces Uh, or stack shelves at at their local Sainsbury's or flip burgers at their uh, local McDonald's. I shop at Sainsbury's. I'm very grateful. There are people um, stacking shelves there. I occasionally eat McDonald's burgers. I am very grateful the fact that there are people flipping burgers, but that is not where you draw or that is not where you necessarily draw your leaders from. Um, You need to draw your leaders from, from better education. Um, and, and unfortunately, that better education comes at a cost. And is that the problem? We're not willing to pay for people that have been to college and to university and do have a, a clearly defined idea of where they want their career to take them, um, instead of which we are dealing with those that, that basically had no alternative. And do they make the best leaders? Some will, some unquestionably will. Um, I think those that, that, that really embrace the, the hard work and the grit and the determination, and really want to succeed, maybe they will build around themselves a team um, that they can rely on, on, that they can rely on, and who can rely upon them. Um, but I would suggest that that is the exception rather than the, the rule. Um, again, it comes back to this this whole thing of root and branch. Um, and I don't think going back to the, the comment about the uh, the big brew idea, which I think is a wonderful, wonderful idea, and it's you know, let's face it, it's it's kind of the idea of, of the of this show itself. You know, that, well, I, I didn't invent it; I just borrowed it. Um, I think that's a fantastic idea, but I don't actually think um, you can make that message travel upwards. It needs to travel downwards, um, and and you will see it in other aspects of the business. Um, we, we talk a lot about um, the use of HVO and electric machines and um, ultimately hydrogen machines. There will be a few smaller companies, uh, maybe owner operators that are willing to give it a pop. Um, there will be a few plant hirers that are keen to be seen to be you know, at the cutting edge. But in order for electric and hydrogen machines to really, really take hold, it requires either a major contractor so a balfabeti or a kia or a lango rook to insist upon their use or it will require um a major project an hs2 a hinkley point to insist upon their use because otherwise you you, you can't push demand the demand has to be a pull and, and we need a pull from we need a pull from the industry to say we want our plant hirers and our rental companies to surprise us with machines that are zero emissions, zero noise. So we want to go all electric or we want to go all hydrogen. A plant hire, you know, even a company of the magnitude and the um, reputation of a Sunbelt or a Flannery, they could go out tomorrow and buy, you know, they could switch it over their entire fleet to hydrogen or electric or HVO. But unless there is a pull from the from their customers, that will be a doomed folly. And it's exactly the same with this this changing of attitudes. Unless there is a, a pull from a, on high, you know. You you, and it's not just enough to say you must have a, a mental health awareness expert within your site team. You've got to be seen to be demonstrating that um, and and safeguarding. Not just not just we are aware of mental health, but actually doing something about it and doing something about physical health as well. Um, there's no more guys coming up through the ranks, starting at the bottom and making it to the top through their experience. This stuff can't be learned out of a book. Um, and, and, you know, that, I, that, that was striking, actually, when we were talking uh, to Jackie Cuthbert at um, Sunbelt Rentals. The Sunbelt Rentals, I think, off the top of my head, is about a £5 billion company these days. Um, and the CEO of Sunbelt Rentals, whose name has gone straight out of my head, as so much often does, um, he started as an apprentice. Um, when you look at some of the, the companies that are at the very forefront of um, the UK demolition industry, Erith, Dave Darcy, It was his father's company, but he came up through the ranks, and he got no special treatment. Less squib, exactly the same, and and so on down the line. Um, You you need to understand where where the pitfalls are, you know, and that you can't learn it out of a book. I I would imagine. I've never done it, um, but I would imagine the biggest shock to anyone is somebody that's learned construction. Um, at school or college or university, their first day on an actual working site must come as a culture shock of all uh, the mother of all culture shocks. Um, because nothing in a book can prepare you for what a construction site is all about or a demolition site is all about. Um, and, and again, that's why I have such an issue with um, things like classroom based training, that's not it's not even close to the real world. Um, and, and simulators, I think simulators are a fantastic idea. I think their use should be encouraged, but they do not in any way prepare you for the real rough and tumble of, um, a, a, an actual demolition site or a construction site. Um, and that needs to come from above. You know, we we need we need somebody like a Lango O'Rourke or a Balfour Beatty to say enough is enough. You know, we've we've had a, a skill shortage for forty odd years. We've got this enormous, embarrassing, humiliating suicide rate. We've got sites upon which we would love to have more women, but they are so unpleasant to be on that no woman in their right mind would ever want to set foot on them. Um, We have an atmosphere of of racism and homophobia um, that cannot be allowed to continue. So unless you can demonstrate that you have dealt with all of those issues, and I don't just mean awareness, I mean actually dealt with them, you can demonstrate that you have um, people of color in your organization and on site, you have women not just in your organization, but on-site, uh, LGBT people within your um, company and on-site, unless you can prove that, and unless you can prove that you're not just doing uh, mental health awareness, but you are actually you know, giving people time off um, between jobs, giving them time to get home to their uh, family and their friends and their support network and their GP and all of that kind of thing, unless you can demonstrate all of these things, and not just in a tick box way, but can actually demonstrate them, you are not allowed to work on our jobs. Um, personally, um, I think that would carry far more weight than, um, the letterhead um, of a company having on it a badge from a trade association that basically all they do is pay to be a member of. Um, and I, I, I have a, a problem with uh, tick box, um, control anyway. Um, when you look at things like um pqqs and 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 training levels and all that kind of thing ultimately what we're talking about here predominantly is satisfying somebody in an office who has got a form that says the people working on this job be they a company or an individual must tick all of these boxes that's not how you take care of a workforce that's not how you build a team that's not how you get jobs done to the best of of their ability that's not how you maintain productivity you do it by actually doing the research and making sure that a company is not just saying they are aware of mental health uh, but they are actually doing something about it they're not just aware of um, the need for physical health and and safety they are actually doing something about it they can demonstrate it and we are asked as an industry to demonstrate uh, competence and experience all the time and that relates purely to the job you know have you have you ever taken down a tower block before yes we've taken down 12 of them and here's the proof fantastic you're you're in the the running for the job go further than that have you ever taken down a tower block yes have you done so without anybody being hurt or killed yes have you got um a, a proper mental health structure in place? Yes. Do you employ sufficient women? Yes. Do you employ people of colour? Yes. Do you employ LGBTQ people? Yes. Okay. You're in with a shout. And until that happens, everything that we've talked about this morning, apart from our detour off to uh, to Luxembourg to talk donkeys and uh, old R- O&K excavators, everything we've talked about today will continue. Um, it will, it's a problem that will not fix itself. Um and it will not be resolved um either by the the lower end of the industry i.e the subcontractors and the specialist subcontractors and it most certainly will not be fixed by uh, a guy wearing a lugong hat on a saturday morning talking into a microphone um root and branch root and branch Uh, i mentioned on the surgery show with terry cornby the other day um the notion of making him demolition minister and he, he quickly said that he'd resign but when, when you look at fact, the fact that we've got a housing minister, the, the housing minister is all well and good, but he is basically there, I guess, to ensure that the country is producing sufficient houses for its residents and its inhabitants. It It never has, and as it stands at the moment, it probably never will. But the role of that housing minister... Uh, and maybe it should be a construction minister, should run deeper. They should be ensuring that the industry is being run. Bearing in mind, we are talking about an industry that is is very powerful, has a huge lobby and employs about a million people. Um, how many of those million people are struggling with mental health? How many of them feel they are undervalued or not valued at all? How many of them are subject to bullying and abuse? How many of them are afraid to take time off work in case they are sacked? Uh, How many of them are afraid to speak up about their personal life or about their working life? Um, Half? Three quarters? 99%? Who knows? Who knows? Um, Keyword today is talk. As long as we talk, then we're making a start. Well, listen... That's something I can do. Uh, I, I I often say I bring very, very little to the party, apart from the ability to press a few buttons, wear some slightly questionable glasses, and to talk. Um, I'm happy to talk. Uh, I, I, there, there was a bit of me that wanted to start the show to say, um, I, I, if you were here at the very beginning, you, you'll know that I have Jim Morrison playing in the background saying the ceremony is about to begin there was a very uh, th- there was a point where i was actually thinking about saying uh, you know therapy is now in session um i thought when i first thought of it i thought it was quite amusing but i don't think it is um, because i think there are an awful lot of people for whom therapy would be very very welcome um and and i think the lighthouse club is doing some incredible work uh, my friend nigel williams was on linkedin yesterday talking about the lighthouse club and how that uh, organization helped him with his um, struggles over the past year um, and i know from firsthand not my own firsthand but um one of my colleagues um, died a while back um, and the, the lighthouse club certainly helped him um, i know mates in mind do a very very good job but it's, it's like when we talked on Wednesday about um, skills, training and apprenticeships. This is not an issue that you address once a year and then move on. It's a constant. Um, and, and Mates in Mind and the Lighthouse Club, for all of their excellent work, can't be on site. They can't be on every site, every single day. Um, those that are, are us. You know, so if you are seeing one of your friends struggling, you know, uh, uh, you know, know, if you've heard people being abused, you know, even if, you know, your job doesn't allow you to be able to go and um, have a quiet word, um, possibly by the scruff of the neck with the person that's perpetrated that abuse, at least have the the, the decency to put your arm around the person that has been abused. And, I, and I, it, it's a point that's been raised so many times in, in recent shows. The fact that that often is the newcomer on the site, uh, who is often the young person. You know, the, And think about that young person, you know. Yes, some of them will be straight out of college, maybe some of them are still living with their parents, but some of them will be um, with girlfriend or wife, possibly young children, um, trying to make ends meet, trying to make a living, trying to make their way in an industry. And every day they turn up, they get sworn at and abused. Sometimes worse, I've I've heard about um, actual physical violence. I'm sure that hasn't completely gone from the industry. Um, and all that guy is doing is trying to make sure that there is food on the table for his wife or his girlfriend and their children. Think about that next time somebody is, is shouting and swearing. Um, and report it up the line, you know. If if that means that you have to go to the guy's superior or the, the main contractor, do it. Do it. Because unless we outlaw um, that kind of behavior, this industry will continue. It, we will put... Perpetuate our own skill shortage. We will alienate those within, and we'll make it, make this industry harder and harder to work in, and therefore we will attract fewer and fewer people. Um, I was hoping today was going to be a bit more cheerful, and I, I do appreciate um, our friend Al for bringing a bit of cheer into the world. Um, but again, I I I I'm going to close by saying that despite all that I've said this morning, um, I do genuinely love the industry Uh, I am a I'm a journalist first and a and a construction and demolition man second I could should I so desire write about pretty much anything I I have in the past and I do still write about stuff that isn't demolition and construction related but the reason I keep coming back to this is because it might be tucked away it might be covered in dirt and grime and everything else but within this industry, there is a nugget of brilliance. You know, you, when, when you see how this job can be done, um, things like HS2, things like Crossrail, things like the Shard, uh, the London Olympics, the Channel Tunnel, um, and, and all those incredible projects, when you see what can be achieved, there is that nugget within this, within this sector that is fantastic. Is, is so so important and is so attractive but what we need to do is is scrape away all the crap that is around that nugget of gold um and and, and to then show that gold to those outside the industry and to, to invite them in and to welcome them in regardless of their gender their race their creed their color their sexual persuasion their age we need people, and we need people that are going to do a a good job for the greater industry. Um, and just imagine this, um, Gary, you have a good weekend too. Imagine, you know, just playing on my analogy here, imagine how brightly that nugget of gold could shine if we got this right. If we could attract the right people, if we could encourage the right people, if we could fix the intrinsic problems within the industry, imagine how shiny that nugget would be. And on that note, um, I'm going to go and have my um, weekend. I'll be back on Monday morning. Hopefully by then, I may have cheered up a little. I, I, maybe somebody may have waved a magic wand over the weekend, and when we arrive on Monday, everyone is sweetness and light. I doubt it, but I live in hope. Uh, li- really appreciate you all being here. Uh, Ken, Gary, uh, John, uh, Nick. Uh, I want to try and make sure I get everyone. Um, uh, I'm sure James was here earlier. Um uh, I'm sure he was. Yes, he is. Uh, so thank you to all of you for taking part. Thanks for all your input. I uh, hope you enjoyed the trip down memory lane. Hope I didn't depress you too much. Pretty much depressed myself, uh, but I hope I didn't depress you too much. But back here again uh, for a full week next week, um, just to let you know, and it's a very quick reminder that um, I will be here on Monday and Tuesday for uh, the Breakfast Show. I'll be here Thursday and Friday for the Breakfast Show, but it's my mum's funeral on uh, Wednesday, so I won't be here for that day. Then the week after that, um, on the Wednesday, so that's Wednesday the 23rd, we will be doing our next site equipment show. So because we we obviously missed the site equipment show during December, I've got an absolute mountain of um, the hottest new equipment to share with you um, on a That'll be on Wednesday evening, Wednesday the 23rd, 6 o'clock. Wherever you're watching this, you'll be able to watch that. Uh, watch along. It will be live, so you can comment, ask questions, and, well, um, oh, excuse me, generally take part. But until then, people, please, please have a great day. Look after yourself, your family, your friends, and your colleagues. Um, I don't need to preach to you a lot about the importance of um, talking to your colleagues because that's what you do. That's why you're here. Um... But if you do see anybody that you think could do with that, please um, have a word, pass on, pass on my best wishes. Um, even if even if it means that you know that you they join you for your break time at 10 o'clock in the morning and they sit and watch me babble on for 10 15 minutes. If that improves their day, I find it hard to believe it would, but if that might improve their day, please encourage them to do that. Until next week, people, have a great day. Enjoy your Saturday, enjoy your Sunday, see you Monday thanks for being here all the best